Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Talking Metal, episode 773. Wow. Wow, we've been doing this a long time, and I'm so glad to have the co-founder of the show back on with me, John Astronomy. He is uh, always so much fun to hang out with. So stay tuned for a fun-filled episode with him. And also Roy from Stone Sour is on. And a great guy named Stuart Shapiro, who is from Night Flight, who has just this amazing service. I'm not being paid to say this, guys. I just want to say that up front. He was gracious enough to give me a code to give you guys if you decide you want to try his service. If you do Netflix or you do Shutter or you do any of these subscription-based TV apps, you got to get Night Flight. It's all the music we love. There's so much great stuff up there. Uh, I'm going to actually, in the show notes, post a link over to the Night Flight blog where I talk about some of my favorites such such a great app, the Night Flight streaming TV app. Again, I'm not being paid to uh, to say this, so definitely check it out. And when you do, if you go for a yearly subscription with the Night Flight Plus service, you should use the promo code Talking Metal, all one word, all lowercase. I'll have the link up in today's show notes, okay, where you can go to redeem the code and sign up. And again, he's not he's not paying me to uh, to promote this at all. I just love the service. I know you some of you may have heard me talk about it before. Go check out Night Flight, and uh, yeah, so much great stuff. I just watched a documentary on there about the the new wave of British heavy metal, which was fantastic. Again, the promo code is Talking Metal. I'm going to have a link up where you can redeem the code. I'll also tweet that link out. It's nightflight.com slash redeem, R-E-D-E-E-M, dash your, dash promo, dash code. Again, I will have that link up in today's show notes on talkingmetal.com. And the promo code that you use there is uh, is Talking Metal. Again, I'm going to tweet all this information out. I'll also put it on my Facebook and all that. It's well worth it. And it, like it's like $3.99 a month. I mean, it's like dirt cheap. And I think you get like a 
yearly subscription. And if you use that code, Talking Metal, it's $5 off that. So you get like the whole thing for 35 bucks in one year, which when you think about how much we're paying for Netflix and stuff, I mean, that's a bargain. And you will watch this as much as you're watching Netflix, if not more. At least my wife and I do. It's so good. Night Flight is the place. And again, we'll have the link up in today's show notes where you can uh, redeem your code, okay? Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
little classic ace right there, Snowblind, going back to 1978. This is Mark Striegel, and I'm here with the co-founder, co-host of Talking Metal. We started this show together back in 2005. John Astronomy, how are you, dude? I'm doing great, Mark. Glad to be here on a Sunday morning. That's when we're taping this. Yeah. Here on Talking Metal, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft, Jersey City, New Jersey. Absolutely. I am drinking in Maplewood, New Jersey here, a... Starbucks cold brew. John, what are you drinking there in Jersey City this uh, wonderful I'm drinking some morning? absolute cranberry. <laughs> 10 a.m. Oh, man. Literally <laughs> 10, 10, 52 a.m. in the morning. Good for you, man. Good for you. Thanks. I, I, I uh, you know, Emily likes to day drink, um, but I, I, I have trouble with it because I end up falling asleep like in the middle of the afternoon generally. Yeah, that, that can totally happen to me at any point yeah. in my life. I can just fall asleep at a moment's notice, but... Uh, <laughs> So Ace right yep. now, speaking of Ace, we heard some Ace there. He's over in, in Japan. You are in Jersey City, a, a rare time when you're not on the road with him. Wait, he's in Japan or Australia? Where is he? He's in Japan, right? Now, right? he's either in Japan or on a plane to Japan. Uh, it's a day ahead over there, or a half a day ahead, so uh, he's probably already there now. But, um, yeah, so I just got off the road with Ace. Uh, we were all through California. Uh, we did Las Vegas with Alice Cooper, uh, did a great show in Detroit. And, uh, then I came back to New York and the reason that I am not in Japan right now, or uh, that I didn't do the tour in Australia is because the international tours at the moment just take up so much time and, as most of you know, um, I work full time in the television industry in New York City, and uh, you just uh, there, there's no way to go on all the tours. So what I do is I still am managing uh, these tours from beyond, and I'm involved on in a daily basis. And uh, you know, it's really funny. I I have to apologize to John Simpson. I was uh, on oh, the yeah. phone, my good friend. On the Street in Hoboken. Yeah, John Simpson's a good friend of both of us, and uh, Mark, you've worked with him uh, many years. And he came up to me on the street, and I said, John, I'm really sorry I can't talk. I'm uh, handling uh, an issue in Australia right now. And I was on the phone with someone in Australia uh, trying to handle some paperwork. And uh, so, so anyway, that's why I'm uh, not on the tour. I wish I was. Right. Uh, it sounds like it's a, a really fun thing. And uh, the videos and photos and everything I've seen uh, have looked great. But the, the truth is, I, I feel like I'm on the road because I'm involved in the day-to-day -day issues. Of yeah. And, and on that note, I did want to say a little bit about what you're talking about there, because I, I do relate. And uh, But first off, we have some great guests. Stuart Shapiro is on the show. He has some technology that I think is just the future of of streaming tv we're going to talk to him about the night flight app there's so many great shows you can watch on night flight we're also going to talk with the drummer of stone sour i'm going to see him in just a couple days uh, play with ozzy roy mayorga and we're going to hear some stone sour in just a bit hear the interview with roy and then to wrap things up we're going to talk with a great band called intheos i hooked up with them at heavy montreal and we're going to hear that interview so Big, big episode here. But, John, before we get into the interviews, I, I totally relate with what you're saying because 
you know, I work in the TV business too. I, I do different stuff than you do. I'm more production oriented. And it's, it's been a, it's like, it's weird. I, I had a great run in the TV business from 1991 to 2017. 2018 has been, uh, has been shit, excuse my language, but um, just not, the work is just not coming in like I used to. So I'm scrambling. That's a whole nother, another discussion, but people all the time come, come up to me and they're, they, they don't, they're like, wow, I wish I had your job of talking metal, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> you know, talking metal, it is almost a job and there's a little money that comes in off of it. Not much by the time you add in all the hosting fees and everything, but, but yeah. And there's part of me that likes that people think that, Oh, it's Mark from talking metal. And I know you, you've gotten that with talking metal and you get it probably yeah. a lot more with ACE, but it's like, Sometimes, and I know other people in this business who have actual day jobs. They they may they may be a guitar player in a band that we all know, but then they actually are a, a, a flight attendant. Also, that's somebody I actually know, or they're a mechanic when the band comes off the road, you know, and and or they're a school teacher when they're not podcasting, you know. So I, there's so many people I feel like that, especially with the. The uh, some people like it. I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. I I, I kind of like uh, almost wish people acknowledged that I'm a TV production guy as well as a right. podcaster. You know, and right. and realize exactly. that that we don't do this to. No one's getting rich off of podcasting. You know, right. there's the you know. So I I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> thoughts. Sorry, I'm just rambling. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I was rambling earlier, and I'm sorry. I I, I definitely wanted to. Uh, talk about who's on the show uh, and all that stuff right up top. And I just started going off on a tangent. No, so that's good. I apologize for that. But um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. It seems like in 2018, no one does just one thing in, in the rock world, unless you're a mega star at this point, in, in right. my opinion, um, like, you know, Ace Frehley, he, he doesn't have a day job. His day, or I mean, his day job is being Ace Frehley of the, you know, rock and roll world. And Gene Simmons is, that's his job and he does a million other things, but that's yeah. I mean, well, Gene's a perfect example. Look how many different things he's doing. Yeah. I mean, the, right. being the bass player and, and, and a singer and kiss is just a small part of that. You know, I mean, there's so many other things going on with him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and look at, look at just other bands like kicks or, or bands that, that, I thought were when I was growing up were like, you know, millionaires and, and they may have been, but I, I'm, you know, I just picked kicks because they were a band that I, one of the early bands that I knew of, uh, as a kid because they were from the Maryland area and I was from PA. I, I don't know if those guys have other jobs. You, you may know more. I think that you produced a show that showed that one of the guys was like putting up signs. Yeah, Brian back in the day, I mean, that was 20 years ago, but he yeah. used to, he used to put up billboards and that yeah. was on a MTV show I worked on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so many of these people, they, they have other things going on, you know, and, and it's all the more reason I hate to bag, beg for money, but if you can support what John and I do with a PayPal edition, uh, a PayPal donation or join us on Patreon. We got 19 listeners strong with a monthly pledge of, of $2 or more on Patreon that, that helps out uh, just the little things, you know, help out. Yeah, you can definitely. help buy John's 
morning vodka. But yeah, and guys, I really don't do this on a, on a daily basis, but um, it's a holiday weekend, and uh, my my timing is a little off. Like I've been like going to sleep at weird times and being up at weird times. So having a drink at ten fifty two is is a lot more normal in my world than it might sound. Right on. But anyway, um, and believe it or not, that was my my first drink. I had bacon eggs and a drink of vodka and. Um, Anyway, I'm happy to be um, I'm actually happy to be home in Jersey City uh, because I hadn't literally uh, with the exception of last weekend. This is my second weekend home in about two months. And uh, and that's because I was away visiting uh, family. I was out with Ace almost every weekend. And then, you know, the tour of California, um, which was really cool. Hey, by the way, I wanted to ask you, you just saw Glenn Hughes, and yeah. who I love, and I, I wanted to hear how that went. Yeah, well, I tell you what, let's get into these interviews first, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Glenn Hughes. I know there was another thing you wanted to talk about, but cool. I do want to jump into these. So we're first going to hear from Roy Mayorga of Stone Sour. He is the drummer. This guy was uh, part of the New York scene back in the day, at the same time you and I were musicians in the, in the New York scene, so we do talk about that. And I cannot wait to see uh, Stone Sour. I'm going to see them it, it, by the time this posts. It may even post the day after I I, uh, I see them. I'm not exactly sure. Where's the concert at? It's at PNC. They are opening for Ozzy Osbourne. So what I'll day look of the week is that? That's a Monday night. What Monday date? Night. Yeah, it's. Uh, I want to say the sixth or something. It's mm. it's a uh, it's a week from tomorrow. Cool. Which is right around the same time this episode's going to post. So, anyways, yeah, love to have you join us if you are available, John. The deluxe version of the album Hydrograd was just released, and there are some great, great, you know, uh, bonus tracks or, or I don't know, additional tracks, I guess I'd say, including this. This is Stone Sour's cover of Van Halen's Unchained, followed by my interview with Roy from Stone Sour.
And on the line, we have the drummer of Stone Sour, Roy. Roy, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm great, too. And thanks so much for checking in with us. I am completely psyched because on September 10th here in New Jersey, you're going to be rolling through with Ozzy Osbourne, Stone Sour, Ozzy Osbourne, sharing the stage together. Excited to go out on what looks like it's going to be Ozzy's final farewell tour? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like this is this is huge for us. I mean, especially everybody in the band being Aussie Aussie fans and Buffett fans. This is like a, a dream come true for this band. You know, all of us as kids been following the Madman, the Prince of Darkness since. You know, so this is this is great for us. Cool. And you guys have a deluxe version of Hydrograd coming out, and that's, I think, going to hit on right. August 31st. So the bonus tracks and the second CD, is that all stuff that you recorded during the original sessions for the album, or, or did you go back and add, do some additional recording more recently? No, yeah, those are those are all those are all recorded during the sessions. Because originally we recorded like all, as many songs as we can, you know, because we, we we came out of our out of my studio in demo stages with like a lot of songs, so we just wanted to record everything. And of course, we picked out you know the ones that we wanted on the record. We can't you know exactly put all those out at once, so you know now we you're able to see the light of day, so it's great. Cool, cool. And yeah. I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know that when you when you are in the studio and you're recording do you use the same gear that you're using in the live setting or is is it two different kits two different uh, different pieces of equipment that you're using could you talk a little bit about your 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 drums and what you use in the studio what you use in the live setting yeah the drums that i used on hydrograd in fact is the first drum kit that dw made for me about 12 years ago. And I used that same kit to record pretty much every Stone Sour record ever since. And it did a couple tours with me. In fact, it hadn't done a tour since the Come Whatever May tour. I kept it away because I really wanted to take good care of it and just use it for recordings. I like, love the way that the kit sounded. But then I just remembered how cool that kit sounded when hearing it through um, that need console that was at Sphere Studios were recorded at Hydrograd and I figured, and I thought it'd be a shame to just put this thing away. Let's bring it back out and hear it through, you know, going through a PA. And I thought it'd be actually really cool to do something like that since the drum sound on that record would be the same drum sound I would have live. So yeah. Um pretty much um it's just a simple kit, you know, just two kicks, two toms, two floors, a couple cymbals. Right. There you go. Right. Cool. Yeah. Cool, and we've heard that Corey is going to be 
doing a lot of Slipknot stuff in 2019. And I would assume that's going to mean downtime for you, at least downtime from Stone Sour. So I wanted to talk to you about what you might be up to in that that, uh, Stone Sour downtime. Do you have plans? Um, Well, first and foremost, spending a whole lot of time with my family since I've been away for, you know, a few years. Um, but during all that, I'm going to be also working on a solo record of, uh, I don't know if a lot of people out there cool. know what I do other than play drums, but I also compose a lot of music for, you know, for indie films and commercials and stuff like that on my downtime. I use a lot of hardware, uh, modular synthesizers. So the record the material on the record that I'm going to be working on is going to be mostly just drums and modular synthesizers. Um, no, 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 like, you know, format of, you know, verse, course, verse, course, it's going to be pretty experimental and improvisational. I'm hoping to do like a nice, uh, you know, 16 minutes aside of a record, you know, kind of wow. old school style, like the cool. way, like you would, you would hear like a tan, the way you would hear like a tangerine dream record or Jean-Michel Jarre record, like those kind of, old electronic records from the seventies, but it's not going to sound like that. It's going to be more in that format. And, um, hopefully, uh, I can get it out by the end of next year and, uh, do some performances along the way before the release, uh, at some, you know, various clubs around LA or, or wherever, San Francisco, Chicago, that's basically the, the raw plan right there. Okay. And, and just for people who might not understand what a module synthesizer is, what, can you explain that a little bit? Um, well, the modular synthesizer, basically, it's, it's just a series of components. Um, the best way to look it up would be look up uh, Moog modular m-o-o-g modular right uh robert Moog is the first one to design something like that um wendy carlos uh pretty much took that instrument and made it you know really known and on her compositions as well as people like keith emerson from emerson and palmer use this but back to what a modular is a modular is basically it's a series of modules you can have um let's say you could set it up where you could have six oscillators oscillators is basically your 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 waves your 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 sound comes from there and you run those through a filter from the filter modular you you run it to uh, envelope generators that control the filter opening and closing and from there you you plug it into a VCA a voltage control amplifier that that opens the the volume of of the of the of the sound with the envelope filter you have to look it up it's 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 a, it's really cool there's amazing possibilities with this instrument you could do a lot with it you, you can sequence it you can, you can, um, you can just come up with some insane sounds and, and soundscapes with it. You know, I really love uh, the sound of synthesizers. I mean, it's made a huge impact on me when I first discovered them. Um, hearing uh, the soundtrack to, like, say, um, The Shining. I mean, Wendy Carlos right. did the the opening theme to that. I'm sure everybody, everyone's aware of that song. And after that, that pretty much opened the floodgate to all electronic music to me. I soon discovered Kraftwerk. Um, then Drum Jar, Tangerine Dream. I mean, the list goes on. There's so many artists at that time that were using synthesizers, and I just loved that sound. And uh, being a, you know, being learning to play drums at that time, I kind of learned both growing up, and just kind of wanted to marry those two forever as just those two. It's interesting because when now that I have the, now, now that I have the chance to do that, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to do that now once I have the break. 
That's awesome. I can't wait to hear that. For some reason, I'm, I'm thinking is like, have you seen Stranger Things? And is that with the soundtrack to that TV show? Do you believe they're usually using the module synthesizers in that? From what I hear, um, he's not using modules. I think he's using the more eighties synth. I think okay. he's using like I would have, I would imagine like a, a poly, a chord poly six, a prophet, prophet five, even uh, Jupiter six, Roland. I'm not sure, but yeah, that that soundtrack's amazing. But that's um, he definitely hit, he definitely uh, definitely hit the nail on the head with that, the tone of that. Because that because that that program takes place in the eighties, so it was really cool that they took that sound of people like John Carpenter and kind of elaborated more on it. Now. I really love that soundtrack; it's great. Yeah, absolutely cool. Well, I can't wait to hear that. Definitely keep us posted. Um, and uh, I sure. wanted to, you know, I read somewhere online that you guys are already talking about the next Stone Sour record, and that you could actually start writing for that, you know, in the middle of 2019. Is that something you believe is, is going to happen? I'm sure we'll, 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 well I'm not sure exactly when in 2019 right. or okay. the following year, but I'm sure we'll, we'll be get we'll be getting together to, you know, hash out ideas and stuff. Um, I got some ideas. I'm sure the boys got some ideas as well. Uh, I know Tooch has definitely got some stuff going on and, uh, so does Corey. I've heard a couple of things he's been rolling around with. So we'll probably work on some of that later on our break while he's out doing Slipknot. And we'll probably just, you know, follow the same suit like we did last time. He'll come, uh, Corey will come to Burbank, my studio, on his breaks and, you know, put some vocals on whatever we recorded. And yeah. Cool. Awesome. And- as usual. <laughs> Nice, nice. And I wanted to also mention the first Soulfly album, which just turned 20 years old. And you were a big yeah, part of that album, really. obviously. And any memories you can share of, of going into the studio and working on that record with Max? Yeah, I, I could, I mean, that, was the, that was the first um, that was the first time I ever walked into like such a studio like uh, Indigo Ranch. I mean, first time walking into some place like that. It was tucked away in the Malibu can Malibu uh, Canyon. And I was like my maybe fifth time ever in California. And that was a really cool way to, you know, kind of be away from the beaten track recording such a record. And, um, I can remember all of us like being in the room together, tracking this record and, you know, trial and an airing do like trial and error on parts and stuff like that. And once we got the part, we'd record full takes and, you know, do it old school style, you know, no click track, just count the band in and hope for the best kind of thing. Um, it was a great experience, man. I mean, we walked in there with like, I would say like six, maybe seven complete songs and some ideas and the rest, we all kind of came up with it together, like right there and elaborated. Um, cause Max brought in like the meat of the idea, you know what I mean? Of what, what we wanted to do. He already had four or five right. finished tunes. I think the rest of it was like all, you know, improv and made up right there. And, and obviously, you know, tailored, tailor made before we recorded it. It was fun, man. It was the best time. I mean, one of the best times of my life. And, uh, you know, I'm really, uh, really happy to have been a part of that record. It was, it was definitely a special time, you know, you know, especially working with someone like Ross Robinson, you know, who's producing, I really learned a lot from him. Um, he really brought the best out of me and everybody. And, you know, I definitely, uh, I definitely hold that experience like really responsible for how I play now, even more so, you know. 
Right on. And you were with them, what, for three three albums, was it? I was with them for two. I was on the first album, and then I was on the third album. Ah, okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, you were, were you born and raised in, in Manhattan? I was born in Queens. Okay. And uh, I lived there for the first few years of my life. Um, then I lived in, uh, Pennsylvania. Actually, I lived in Florida for a couple of years because my dad had a really, had a, a, a job, decent job offer. So we went down there and then, uh, soon enough, we, uh, ended up moving to Pennsylvania. I lived in, uh, in Allentown for a little while. And then once I was old enough, I, uh, to move out, I moved to Philly and, um, played in some bands there and then found my way back to New York city when I was about, uh, 18 and then I uh, joined a band called Nausea and toured the States and Europe with them. It's an old punk rock band from New York and uh, made my way up there and, you know, was doing front of house at uh, various clubs to stay alive and uh, just to get myself to this point in my life, you know? Right on. And so back at that time in the, in the New York scene, the Lower East Side scene, there was, seemed like a pretty thriving, like punk rock, hardcore scene going on in the, in the late eighties. And do you have any memories of that, that scene? And, and, you know, that neighborhood has just changed so much. I don't know if you've been back there uh, lately, but it's just like a different place. Well, I go back now. It just looks like a shell of the place I used to live in. It's almost like, like, what I knew of Lower East Side and East Village doesn't exist any, and doesn't, it never existed. It's weird. There's little like rem pockets of, of remnants of what was there when I was living there. Cause when I was living there, it was like the subculture was thriving. I mean, it, it was de- definitely had this, uh, raw, you know, underground subculture going on there. I'm sure there's somewhat of a subculture still in New York. I think that's always going to be there. But I don't know if it's in Manhattan. It's probably somewhere, on the other side, Brooklyn and Queens, you know, right. there's a lot of things going on there that I don't know of anymore. Cause I, I mean, I haven't lived there in 18 years, so I don't know what's what there anymore. I only know what I used to know and that's definitely long gone, but my time there, I mean, all through mid eighties to late nineties, it was, it was the best time. I think one of the last good times. And, um, I saw, I was lucky to, to see a lot of great bands and a lot of, uh, uh, be involved in a lot of cool things and, and different scenes that were in New York at the time. And, you know, definitely, uh, that came out of it with some really cool, uh, inspirations, you know? So I'm really lucky to be in, to been a part of it. And what are some of the clubs you, you remember as being the, the vital clubs for that scene? I mean, places like CBGB's and the continental, they're all gone at this oh, yeah. point, but were, were there, were yeah. there other clubs that were, were big for you? Yeah, Wetlands was one. I was like, uh, actually, they used to. Uh, that was like a, a, a really cool club. They had all kinds of bands there. I mean, they had you know Grateful Dead kind of bands there. I mean, Blues Traveler would play there, Spin Doctors, and then on the weekends they would have hardcore punk shows there. Um, and then there was, of course, there were CBs. You know, I used to work at all these places, doing front of house and play shows there. Um, another another underground uh, important punk rock club in new york was abc no rio which a lot of bands used to come to um in fact i remember seeing green day there years ago wow before they uh blew up um yeah i mean there's a lot of great places there i mean there's limelight um, i mean that used to be there it was an old it was an old uh, church that they converted into a club 
they used to have some great shows there, and I've also worked there as well. Um, Irving Plaza is still there, um, still killing, still kicking. I just played there with Stone Sour a few years ago. Right on. It was kind of cool. I saw a lot of my old friends came out for that. And it was good to reminisce on some things. And um, what about yeah. the pyramid? Do you remember the pyramid? Yep, I used to work there too. Wow, okay. <laughs> I used yeah. to play there as well. I think Pyramid might still even be there. From last time I walked through East Village, like a year or two ago, I could swear, could swear that I've seen the pink pyramid still out front. Yeah. I think it's still there. Yeah, I, I walked by. It was probably two, three years ago at this point, but it was still there. Yeah, I used to live right above that, one hundred and three Avenue A. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's probably that's probably that's probably that's probably be me. Uh, uh, annoying the hell out of you at night because I yeah. didn't really drive that PA loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it went um, to the wee hours yeah, of the, the night. Only, the only, yeah, like I, never, I never used to get out of here until like two, three in the morning. But um, yeah, the only thing I remember on that I remember seeing on Avenue A that I remembered from then it was actually Sidewalk Cafe and right. uh, Pyramid. That's yeah. it. Everything else is. Not there no more. Yeah, and sidewalks and that's like why P Daly's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sidewalks completely like remodeled. I don't, I don't know if you've been in there, but definitely not the same club. You, you I know, haven't restaurant it used to be, but yeah, Brownie's gone. No. All those places gone. You know, is uh is uh Brownie's the after hours place still there? The one place that you can't curse at because you get kicked out if you do. Oh no, I, I don't know. No, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's I've I've gotten kicked out for 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 cursing on there, uh, and I I was like, are you kidding me? Right. I said, are you fucking kidding me? And the guy's like, okay, you're really out of here now. I'm like, okay. Right on. Right <laughs> yeah, on. Anyway, that was how it was back then. It was fun times, man. I'm just glad I was a part. I was a I was a part of that time. It was it was great. It was really great. Cool. Are you back in the states now? You were over in Europe for a while, right? Yeah, we're in Europe for like six and a half weeks. I got we got home about three weeks ago, three four weeks ago, and uh, we're gonna we're getting ready to leave next week. Uh, and we're gonna play in Alaska August twenty second, August twenty third. I'm sorry, August twenty third. And then you're starting up the Aussie tour August thirtieth. I believe it's in Pennsylvania, coming through New Jersey. Yeah, actually, actually in the town that I used to live in. All right, <laughs> cool, enough. cool, awesome. Yeah, Allentown, yeah. Well. It's yeah. been a pleasure talking with you, Roy, and uh, can't wait to see the show at, at the PNC Art Center in Homedale, New Jersey, on September 10th. And uh, yeah, Stone Sour. Get there early, guys. What time you guys go on? Probably like 7.30, 8 o'clock or something? Yeah, that sounds about right for opening slot. Right. And uh, yeah, don't, don't be a stranger. Come say hello, man. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. That'd be great.
little stone sour here on Talking Metal. Knievel has landed the uh, the concert. They're opening for Ozzy in about a week, John, um, which will be right around the same time I post this episode. They're opening for Ozzy at PNC. It's a Monday night. You should come down with us. I am on Ticketmaster right now or Live Nation's website looking at seats, and I, I really think I'm going to do that because uh, – this would be a really fun thing. My birthday is coming up, yeah. and uh, Ozzy yeah. your birthday and Stone weekend. Sour uh, is pretty freaking cool. So um, we will talk, as they say, offline. About yeah. <laughs> well, tell you what. Right now, I know you and I have been talking about how cool the, the streaming TV technology is. You know, Netflix. I mean, it's awesome. Everyone's watching Netflix and subscribing oh. to Netflix. Well, there's another cool... There's a bunch of other cool apps. I like the Shutter, which is all horror movies. It's it's really a great service. But one of my favorites is is the Night Flight streaming TV app. There's so much great old concert and and show footage, Kiss, Anthrax, you know, Billy Idol, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, was watching on the other day, last just the other day on on Night Flights, John. The uh, they had this Kiss compilation stuff. It was really cool. It was like wow. them on that '70s show, followed by the the when they were when they did the press conference on the Intrepid, followed by some like weird like Ace solo interviews, followed by footage of Ace and Paul like bowling in the '90s. It was. It, yeah, it, it was really cool, and I, I highly recommend everyone check out that and all the other great footage on the Night Flight TV app. This is the man behind it, the man behind the original Night Flight. His name is Stuart Shapiro. Do yourself a favor and go subscribe on your your Fire TV, on your Roku, on your Apple TV to Night Flight. It's super cheap. It's super fun. A lot of great great shows so here we go Stuart shapiro uh talking with me mark striegel here on talking metal hey it's mark striegel of talking metal and talking rock and on the line we have Stuart shapiro the man behind night flight who currently has a great great platform out which i've been subscribing to and and really enjoying the night flight plus tv app i get it through amazon fire it's it's an excellent service and Stuart, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your history and about this this great new thing you're doing with the the Night Flight streaming TV app. Thanks, Mark. Nice, glad to be on, and uh, thanks for the shout out and uh, and the DNA that you're part of. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm all here for you. It's, cool. Uh, it's it's so so great to. Uh, to be in touch directly with a fan that is, uh, really understands what we're doing. So let me ask you a question and turn sure. around the other way. When did you first discover Night Flight? Well, you know, I remember it as a kid. Um, we, we never had cable uh, at that time, but I used to get VHSs of it that my, my friends would tape, and then we would watch them over, you know, at their house. Sometimes they'd bring the VHSs over to my house. So, you know, it was a different time back then, but I specifically remember seeing the, the Black Sabbath special, which was also had Ozzy Osbourne solo videos and the Ronnie James Dio videos mixed in and, and just thinking how amazing it was um and then you know that so that was my introduction as a kid to night flight but then 
I actually we uh, there was a guy named Jordy White who uh, has a podcast and he was talking about the the streaming app when it first launched and my wife and I checked it out and we're just so pleasantly su- surprised when we subscribe to it because not only was it all the great night flight shows but there's so much more I mean you got movies on there you got documentaries and uh, it it seems like this is where the future is going with TV is is the streaming model obviously the big one is is Netflix but at what point did you kind of decide hey I got all this great old footage let's let's stream it let's do this well, new business model with it well um specifically i had been kind of waiting for many many years uh kind of organizing the library there's the seven thousand one inch tapes in the library and wow you know it ranges from original show masters to our individual shows that we did uh and then there's the interviews and so the the library is this, this like wonderful library that was really curated primarily during the eight years that night flight was on uh usa network so you, you have to remember uh, the original night flight actually we produced four hours of content on friday night and another second four hours on saturday night and uh, that ran for eight years so there was uh you know we there's a lot of uh areas that we actually have are missing um, through just the library attrition through all the years and how it kind of traveled around. But the, uh, the, the, the ability to be able to do a network really came because of the technology that finally caught up. So when, you know, if you think about 10 years ago, I think it probably cost, uh, you know, 150 or $250 to have a couple gigabytes of a hard drive, you know, and, and today right. you can have four terabytes for $150. So there's a technological uh, sort of equation that has to come into play. And that kindly finally caught up. And in addition to that, there became services available for independents like ourselves that would be able to uh, basically provide the application and the apps on the various services. It's on Roku, you're on Amazon Fire, you know, on nightflight.com, nightflightplus.com, you can watch it anywhere. You don't have to have an app to watch it. And in order to be able to technologically serve that video, there had to be companies come up into play that you could afford to basically, you know, rent them as a service, not have to spend millions of dollars to build your own technology. So that happened about just really only in the last four years or so. And I remember uh, the company that I work with is a company called Zype in New York. I remember uh, Thomas and myself, Thomas is my partner, and uh, and we had our first meeting with Zype. And, uh, you know, I walked out of there and I looked at him and I said, well, we can finally have a network now, you know. So I'd always dreamed that Night Flight would be a network. I I kind of often felt that, you know, as things evolved out, we never really took it in the 80s and 90s into uh, the next stage that we could have, you know, we we just didn't. I mean, there was a confluence of a lot of things that happened, but I'd always felt that the, that, that what we did in the, as far as what night flight stands for and what night flight is. And when I, I use the expression DNA always over and over and over again, it's, 
it's kind of like a tribal uh, curatorial editorial perspective on pop culture right, and life, yeah. which is, you know, which, which kind of goes from anywhere. I mean, the thing that, you know, you guys are, you know, punk, heavy metal, hard rock in your, in terms of your focus. But one of the things that was always important about knife flight is you could go from heavy metal heroes or hit parader to, uh, you know, Gil Scott Heron or a piece yeah. on the blues or a piece on video art. And, and the thing I think that was always important about Night Flight, which we've managed to exemplify in our in our Night Flight Plus streaming channel, is that the there's a variety within um, a, you know a code in a way you know. So, but it was a question of technology that came to place, and then once that came into place, then it was just a question of putting the team together. And a big component of the team uh, was Ed Seaman who is the head of MVD music video distributors. And Ed and I have been friends and have done business. Uh, I actually had a, a label way back in the nineties called cult DVD, where I was sort of calling together my own library of stuff limited in, a, in its own sense. Um, so when uh, we really decided that, you know, Nightlight had to be this wide breadth of, of, documentaries and feature films and part of night flight shows and everything. I made a partnership with uh, MVD so that we could actually be a branded, uh, you know, channel that would be able to have a flow of all this or other cool content. Right. Cool. And, and just to back it up a little bit, you mentioned, I think zap now is zap. Is that the, the no, it's actually Zipe. Zipe. Okay. Zipe. And they, 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 they get you, they are the technical ability for you to get on Amazon Fire and Roku and, and Apple TV? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're running what we would call technologically a content management system or video servers. So they're, they're running the, the digital component to be able to serve that. So they're, you know, they're like the uplink, I guess you would call it in the old days. Right, I got you. And and when when I watch like a Billy Idol Night Flight special uh, on my Amazon Fire, uh, you know, television, I'm streaming it. Did you have to go back and like like legally reclear like the music and and the footage of those you know original music videos for Rebel Yell and and stuff like that, or was that something that was just way back in the day they signed off on it and gave you the rights to use it forever? Uh, well, I, I really can't like properly answer that other than it's a combination of, yeah, they gave us all those rights, uh, and, uh, parts of them, those shows we, you know, completely own obviously, but I would say that at this point in our arc, uh, it's a, uh, it's a moving, it's a moving partnership, you know? So I, I'm, you know, my, my long-term vision is that the record companies, uh, the three major record companies become our partner in night flight. And at some point, you know, we'll have a more of a aggregated uh, partnership so that the expression of night flight can go way beyond just, you know, the original showmasters. But, but to sort of specifically answer that, one of the things that we're very pay a perfect attention to is, we only air the original air masters on those shows. Right. So we don't take those shows and recut them or whatever. We, you know, this show played in 
you know, on August 8th, uh, 1984. And here it is, you know, so I've been yeah. trying to take a, uh, what they would, what they generally call a grandfather clause approach to life right now. But, you know, we're still a little niche, uh, streaming channel and hopefully we can, uh, grow up and, and, and have the kind of partnerships that would give us a much bigger, uh, uh, range of content. Yeah. And you know, what, what, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Nope. You're up. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I mean, the one, the one very cool thing. And again, for like a metalhead guy like me is I'm just, I'm seeing not only, you know, the old night flight kiss and, and Ozzy and black Sabbath and stuff from the old night flight shows, but, but you're like, there's a Michael Shanker group concert from 1997. There's a recent clutch concert. There's all, it's not just the old night flight shows, which I've told people about the, the app and they're like, Oh yeah, that was a cool old show. But Hey, there's so much more than that for for music lovers for film lovers for for art lovers so do you work with a creative director that or or is that you like who's pulling in all these great documentaries and concert videos that you have um well most of them are coming from music video distributors mbd so we curate their library they have a obviously a much much bigger library and we uh, go through it and choose what we think is uh respectful of uh, night flight. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, we've made, uh, licensing agreements with, uh, you know, other companies, uh, like Dr. Ruth library. We're eventually going to bring more stuff out on that. And, you know, we're working with other, other suppliers, but most of the flow of the cool documentaries coming right now are MBD's product. Cool. Excellent. Now you mentioned Dr. Ruth, and just for our listeners, the I, I the sexual advice doctor, Dr. Ruth, who we all know. I mean, she had her own TV show, and guys, Anthrax, the heavy metal band, is one of the guests on the Dr. Ruth show, and it's just an excellent, fun watch. They have their moms on there with them, and this is again something you can watch using the the Night Flight app on Roku, on Apple TV, on Amazon Fire. TV, which is how I watch it, and it's great, and it's it's so cheap. I mean, you're only charging what? It's like a th- little over three dollars a month if you do the yearly subscription. Uh, yeah, if you do the yearly subscription, it's uh, it's right. It's just a little over three bucks, and most people are do an annual subscription uh, on it, which is uh, thirty nine dollars. You know, and maybe we can work out something with your uh, with your audience and do a special for uh, Night Flight. Maybe we should figure that out and uh, give your uh, give your audience uh, some kind of special code where they can save some money on an annual subscription. Oh, that would, that would be awesome. We definitely appreciate that. And you know, you guys uh, had some sort of deal going with IFC because we saw some of the episodes actually end up on, on regular TV on the IFC channel. I wanted to ask you how that all came about. Well, it's a great question. So, um, it turns out that the uh, folks at IFC like yourself are major night flight fans and unbeknownst to myself, actually. And, um, the, uh, marketing department, um, just like call, got in touch with me and they, you know, their approach was, Hey man, we really love night flight. It's the coolest thing on earth. And I, IFC really, you know, fashions themselves in the same way as being alternative as night flight is. And we think really night flight belongs on IFC. So, um, we made a 
deal that went really, really quickly. So specifically, though, what's on IFC, they're 15-minute shows. They're actually only 10 and a half minutes of program. There's two segments. And they're really, really fast-paced cut, um, little kind of uh, modern versions of a mini night flight. And they're really, uh, so we made 18 shows. We played the first uh, nine uh, in the first part of the season. We went on in April. And they're, they're repeats now. And then the next nine come out uh, in, in October. And then hopefully it's doing really, really well. People are loving it and they're getting a really good dosage. And it's kind of waking up a lot of people to, you know, oh, I sort of remember Night Flight. You know, a lot of people, we've been this sort of uh, on uh, out in the Himalayas for a couple decades, you know, and now we've come back. But so it's, <laughs> right. it's one of those kind of nostalgic, uh, emotional hits. Um, so, you know, I, I have this funny expression that nostalgia is the best weed in town. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that one of the things that's beautiful combination that we've managed to achieve here and which we will continue with is that there's a nostalgic component to night flight, but there's also a current one that is still dealing with cutting edge bands and, you know, new stuff. And we haven't even started. I actually, um, I really want to uh, start a uh, a new half-hour show that we're going to put on Night Flight Plus, and I'm thinking it's going to be new bands entirely, just new 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 music videos of uh, obviously indie-driven and punk-driven and metal-driven probably more than anything. But there's some cool sh- cool animation that's really percolating around now also that really can't get anywhere. So um, right. we're working on that component too. Cool. Well, that was my next question. I mean, that sounds amazing. And I was going to say, are you considering original new prog- programming? And it sounds like the answer to that is is definitely yes. So two answers to that. Yeah, definitely yes. And the, and the shows that are on IFC are original programming. And the, actually, I, I'm hoping that uh, next season on IFC, we actually get a half an hour instead of 15 minutes, which you know, is, is possible. But there's two parts of, of what we would consider original programming. It, and it really talks about what you originally were talking about streaming and what streaming services are and, and, you know, what's the lean in and lean back component to actually giving, you know, a service a half hour of your time or an hour of your time or whatever part you want. And one of the dialects to that is, I know you've done it. We've all done it a million times. You go on Netflix, you want to watch something, you spend like 10 minutes clicking through a bunch of shit and you don't watch anything because you really did nothing there. <laughs> right, or you right. may have the same, or you may have that same expression on Nightlight. You know, you may want to go and, you know, what am I going to watch today? So one of the, one of the sort of emotional uh, components to viewing entertainment is, um, that are, are, are you willing to be fed something? So, you know, what worked on Night Flight in the 80s was we had a four-hour show and you could click it on and you could t- travel through a journey. Today, in order for you to have that journey online and on demand and on a streaming on-demand channel, you got to go there and click and say, okay, I want to watch this episode on um, Heavy Metal. Okay, go there. And then you go through, okay, I watched 15 minutes of that. That's not cool. Well, I want to see DOA, you know. So you have to actually go and make these choices. So I kind of believe that, that that in order to completely satisfy a night flight psyche, 
that you have to be able to go on there on Friday night and watch a half an hour or an hour show that we put together, which is a combination of all our shit. And therefore, every Friday night, you know, there's a new show up there and you can push play and you can sit back and not have to make a decision what you may want to watch. And within that, you may get turned on to a number of different segments that you could go into more detail. So I, I think that's the next part of what we have to, uh, to do on, on yeah. Night Flight. I think you're spot on with that. I think you're spot on with that. Because if, if I had any complaint at all about the the app is I get on there and there's just so much stuff that, that I'm, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking for or what I want to do. I, I think sometimes as, as a, as a species, we like to be told what to, what to watch. And I think getting on there with a fresh, like little half hour show each, each week, I mean, I would be tuning in every Friday for that, you know, and that, that would be, that, that would be great. Well, I, uh, it's around the corner and you're going to have to play with us. So on Friday okay. nights, I don't know when your podcast goes on, but maybe, you know, you, uh, we, we figure out how to help you, you help us program, you know, there's a part of, you know, you asked, you know, how do we curate? Well, the, the, the other answer to that is like, there's kind of like a threesome that goes into night flight. It's myself. It's Stuart Samuels, who's my original partner. Um, and the original writer on Night Flight and the writer uh, and co-director with me on the IFC shows. And Stuart and I have been together since the second year of Night Flight. And he's a PhD in pop culture. He's actually one of the producers of the Beatles movie that came out last year. And he, he's the, a, the Ron a Howard brilliant... one? Yes. Yeah, yes, nice. That oh, that's actually, an excellent watch. That was... Uh, Actually, Stewart was the originator of the concept that morphed into that movie. Um, but he's a brilliant mind and he's a great partner. So uh, he and I work together on curating stuff and putting stuff together. And then there's Thomas Malarney, who is my, you know, fresh partner. And he actually runs the, the site and writes the newsletter you get every Friday night. And he's the one who actually really decides what to post every weekend on his own. Uh, and Thomas is actually a singer in a band called Beacon. Uh, he's really hot. As a, the band is cool. You should check it out. Uh, All right, definitely. They just released their first single, Beacon. And so, they, you know, the three of us sort of work on, on, on that component. But what's to dovetail back to what you do in your podcast and your listeners, the next part of what we have to do is we have to get an interactive aspect of content coming from the audience. We can't rely on the majors to give us something. We can't rely on just the documentary filmmakers or the libraries or the public domain or the public access shows or whatever stuff that comes out. We have to really believe that there's new cool shit coming out. And, you know, I think we, what we have to do is utilize you know, your type of audience to start to feed in our Facebook pages and stuff to start to feed some, uh, uh, fresh content from our audience and from our followers. Absolutely. Don't you think so? Yeah. That there's great stuff out there that's just not really hit it yet. Right. No, I, I, I'm with you 100%. Um, you know, it's just, I, in, and I think what you've what you've built so far is going to be the the perfect platform and, and outlet for for that. So I'm you know I'm digging what you already have up there, and I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to to the future of it. And it sounds like there's a, a big future ahead of it. Well, cool, man. Excellent. Cool. 
Hey, and and I wanted to also just mention, uh, I saw a picture of you and a, a friend of mine, Lon Friend, on uh, somebody's social media, and I was just wondering how well you know Lon, where you know him from, and what's your history with, with Lon Friend? Oh, wow. So, Lon, uh, I love Lon, you know, absolute superior human being and a rock icon and legend on his own. So, Ron... Uh, at the in the years when he was the editor of Rip Magazine, yes, I had a video called Metalhead. Okay, and uh, Metalhead was a series of VHS cassettes that I had under VPI Harmony in 1990 and 91. I think I may have done some in 92, and um, and Lon uh, worked with me on Metalhead. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, uh, th- that's a, a phenomenal series of, uh, uh, that hasn't even, when you talk about night flight, that's like Stuart post night flight. Right. Have and you put those up on the streaming have... app? Uh, is that available to watch? No, 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 no I haven't. Um, I haven't. We, I, I really don't have the rights to that stuff. So I've been kind of a little bit shy about it. It's it seeps out a little bit here and there, but the but the uh, the interviews are, you know, another part that I haven't even had a chance to to, to mine yet. So there's there's you know there's probably 500 interviews in my library that that are after Night Flight because I had uh, not only that I had a country uh, did some country and I had rap and then dance. I had a I was really active in doing uh, a lot of sort of magazine style interviews in the early nineties. And so that's, and then the other thing is, you know, we made a, uh, we have a, an, a partnership with a woman named Reba Merrill and Reba, uh, we've just started to put some of her interviews up that she's done on the sets. I think, I don't know if you've caught, you know, we got like the Freddy Krueger interview. We have like right. wonderful stuff, uh, and and that she has literally hundreds and hundreds. So, you know, to go back to uh, just a segue back, the, the thing that's interesting is not just the new content, but taking these libraries and and sort of editing them and cleaning them up and then being able to present to you uh, the audience a 15 minute interview, uh, you know, with uh, our artists that are on the set or off the set or anyway, you know, so we're, we're that that's a whole other area that. And then, of course, everybody's been always asking me, why, are, why aren't we doing a podcast of Night Flight? I get that question. You haven't asked me that. Yeah. So that's <laughs> one thing that everybody yeah. always asks me. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, the, you know, I started this podcast way back in 2005, and I must say that lately there's just so many podcasts that it's, it's, almost, it's almost too much. I, I, I've been really excited by the whole, you know, streaming TV thing because it seems like that's kind of – like where podcasting was at, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, but yeah, a night flight podcast, it would be great. It would be great. Absolutely. Well, one of the areas that I'm um, fantasizing about is that on night flight plus, it, you're not going to be able to necessarily do this on your Amazon fire unless they change their technology, which could happen in a few years. But let's say for instance, you're watching, Salad Days, the documentary on Night Flight Plus. And, uh, you know, you go to a segment on David Kroll that, uh, you know, and he talks about Fugazi. 
and right. you're there and you want to go from Fugazi to what does Night Flight have on audio, I want you to be able to then go and pull out, um, you know, interviews or journalist interviews from uh, that time period that we can then start to curate and, and do a, you know, a library approach to it so that you could actually sort of tree yourself into this um, ecosystem of being able to dig deeper on an artist that you're watching that's in a particular documentary. So I right. think that's, you know, that's yeah. the next stage of uh, te technology and content integration that I want to get to on right. Plus. Wow. Wow. Some real forward thinking stuff. And I, I love what you're doing. I want the Talking Metal listeners to all go and subscribe to the uh, the Night Flight app. The, I just was watching a great uh, ACDC documentary. You mentioned uh, DOA, the Rite of Passage, the punk rock uh, documentary is is also awesome. So much great, great content up there. And, and thank you for doing this, Stuart, because uh, I'm loving it. Hey, I gotta. I, I'm gonna leave you with one last thought. You bet. Why don't you go through go through plus, choose the ten movies or under that you think your audience should check out, and we will feature you. Give you a top line feature channel um, of your select. Why don't we do that? Okay. <laughs> really? So go oh my god! It and we'll That'd put yeah, we'll put it up right away. Let's do that. Awesome! Awesome! No, that that's amazing. Cool! Awesome! Awesome. Well, thank you, Stuart. All right, there you have it. My interview with Stuart Shapiro of Night Flight. And as I mentioned, there is a code, a discount code, which is talking metal, all lowercase, one, you know, one word. And you can redeem that code to get $5 off your annual Night Flight subscription, which is going to bring it down to like way under $40 for an entire year. And I mean, when we're paying 20 bucks a month for Netflix, uh, that is a crazy discount for Night Flight because believe me, if you're like me, you'll watch Net, uh, Night Flight more than you watch Netflix. Uh, I love Night Flight. Great, great service. So, uh, so cool to talk with the guy behind it. And yeah, man. So on that note, uh, you know, well, actually, let me say one more thing. I think that the easiest way to get the the uh, Night Flight Plus discount that we're that we're offering here is to go to talkingmetal.com into the show notes for this episode. Again, it's episode seven seven three. Just go to talkingmetal.com, scroll down, you'll see this episode, and I'll have a direct link where you can redeem that code and get your uh, your discount and you will not be disappointed and if you are cancel your subscription i mean you get you know that's it's so it's very simple all righty cool thanks to Stuart for joining us and for giving you guys that uh that five dollar discount that's great i did want to mention our sponsor youtube can you believe it we got youtube as a sponsor that's awesome now you know we've all found ourselves down a rabbit hole when on youtube you know, there's so much music there to discover that you literally can spend hours and hours exploring new songs and artists, and it's craziness. The cool thing that they've done for us now is they've made an app that makes it so much easier to discover new music and listen to music. YouTube Music is a brand new streaming service combining everything you'd expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring it all to life. YouTube Music makes it easy to find the music you're looking for, 
official albums, singles, music videos, live performances, even covers and remixes. And this is a feature I love. If you don't know the name of the song, this happens to me all the time. I know the lyrics, but I don't know the name. You can actually, when you're on this this YouTube music, you can search by the lyrics, and it gives you the song. It's amazing. The YouTube music app gives you recommendations based on your taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you, no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, all this is even better. Get get ad-free music that plays when the screen is off or while you're using other apps. You know, finally, they're doing this. I mean, I love this. Enjoy your music whenever you want even when you're offline. Like if you're on an airplane or something, you got to have your music there, you know. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then enjoy music for just $9.99 per month. Of course, terms and restrictions apply. YouTube Music, it's all there. All our favorite hard rock, all our favorite heavy metal, death metal, sludge metal, doom metal, Alternative metal. I don't like the word hair metal, but I'll say it. Hair metal, derogatory term that's now become so popular. Uh, Yeah, it's all there on the YouTube music app. Why not, guys? Go do it. It's it's free for 30 days. And if after that, it's $9.99 a month. If you don't like it, kill it. You know, YouTube music, it's all here. There you go. Let's get into my interview with the band Entheos. We speak with a couple of the guys. We don't speak with the with uh, the uh, the girl. Chan- is Chancy is that her name? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, they're they are powerful, powerful, extreme metal. Entheos, extreme, extreme metal, and fun, fun to watch. Such a, a great vibe. Definitely check out check them out on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> there you go, on YouTube Music. How about that? But let's hear a little of their music and get into an interview that I conducted with a couple of the guys in Entheos at Heavy Montreal back in July, late July of 2018. Here we go. This is The World Without Us by Entheos here on Talking Metal, followed by my interview with Entheos.
it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and we have Naveen and Travis from Intheos, right? That's correct. Uh, have you played Heavy Montreal, or is this the first first time you played it was today? First time today. Cool, cool. And tell us a little background on the band. Where are you guys from? So we're from the States. We're kind of from all over the place. Uh, Travis and our bass player, Tim, who's with us on this tour, are both from Houston. Chaney, the singer, is from Des Moines, Iowa, but her and I live in California. Okay. Where I'm from. So you, right, you're so it's all out. over the country. Right. And you guys are on the Summer Slaughter Tour. You have uh, early start time, 3, 3.15. How's that working out? Are you getting people in, in through the doors by the time you go on? Most shows have been all right. You know, it kind of fills out, uh, but, you know, it is kind of early in the day, you know. And Travis, you give lessons on Skype, I was I was reading, right? Yes, that's correct. And also in person uh, in my teaching studio in Houston, Texas. Oh, cool. And where do people get in touch with you online if they're interested in lessons with you? Uh, just like on my Facebook, Travis Levere, or um, email tlevere.lessons at gmail.com. Okay, your second record, Dark Future, is still rather new. Yeah. 2017. That's right. November, so... What eight nine months later? How's it? How's it still feeling to you? Do you? Are you viewing it any differently than you did when it first came out? Has it grown on you in any uh, way? Yeah. Or we really tried to make it something that was. Uh, we we took into account since it was the second record, we'd done some touring on the first one, and we wanted to make sure that it was something that we were gonna want to play, for, a few years at least. You know, instead of. Uh, so that was definitely in the back of our, or the forefront of our mind when we were making it. So honestly, I think we did pretty good, and the songs are still all totally fun to play. I think for me personally, eight or months later, of course, when we write new material, it'll probably go in a slightly different direction. But for what that is, I totally still love playing it, and we made it fun to play live, and it's still, it still is great, and it goes over well live. Uh, general question for you on Facebook lately a lot of people have been doing like 10 albums that have meant a lot to them not necessarily the best albums ever but ones that just meant mean a lot to them in their life it can be any style of music I wanted to get at least two from each of you what give me two records and maybe a couple words on why they they have meant so much to you Travis you want to go first Sure. Um, the record Asia by Steely Dan. I just love that record start to finish. There's not a bad song on there. And it's also one of like the most well sonically, you know, just mixed records, in my opinion, that come from that, you know, 1970s era. Love that one. And also uh, Erotic Cakes by Guthrie Govan. It's like an instrumental kind of guitar record that just has a little bit of everything. And it's incredible. Cool. Uh, for me, I guess if I'll do like a, I'll do a classic one. To me, that's classic, right. yeah, yeah, and I'll yeah. do a new one that I've been listening to. So the classic one would have to be uh, Air Talkie Walkie, which is like a French uh, kind of pop rock slash electronic psychedelic type thing. And I've, that's probably the one album that I've like never got tired of. I've been listening right. to it for I've, 13 years now. Wow, listen, okay. I still listen to it here and there. Yeah. I had the pleasure of seeing him last year, which is great. And then um, lately, I've been listening to this singer named uh, Jacob Collier, and he's like a multi-instrumentalist kid. And it's sort of like, I guess it's 
jazz, but cool. fusion-y type stuff. Right. And he's also, an ama- he plays everything, and he also sings, and it's just such an amazing album. Cool. I'm listening to that. Jacob cool. Collier in my room, listening to that a lot. That's Excellent. Kind of my go-to. Excellent. And do you, do you guys find that you listen to more extreme music, or do you listen to stuff more stuff outside of like the metal genre yeah for me probably it's interesting not, not your by answer. choice I don't, yeah. I don't say like i need to listen to something that's not metal but i listen to i mean i think i think i'll just get really into like one album you right. know and it'll be each one is probably a different style of music right so sometimes it's a metal album sometimes it's jazz or psychedelic rock or Right on. Drum and bass or whatever, you know. I just uh, anything that like inspires me to listen to it, I'm going to listen to it. You know, I don't okay. necessarily need one style of music, or you know, actively seek out one style of music. Awesome. And before I let you guys go, what interests do you have in your life besides music? Like, what what other hobbies? What keeps you busy? Sports? Yeah. God, I have so many hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I live in Houston, Texas, but as often as I can, I like to try to get out like in the backcountry, do a little bit of camping or backpacking, hiking, stuff like that. Uh, so usually got to travel pretty far out of Houston to, to get some quality stuff, but uh, that's what I like to do a few times a year, and uh, yeah, that's my main thing. I like to build stuff at home a lot. I just do little projects around the house. Because I, I do so many things like that woodworking or yeah, like yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I'll just think of something weird. Like, oh, we need a new picnic table. You know, yeah. I'll just like <laughs> go to the hardware store and buy a bunch of shit wow. and make a table or make a pull-up bar or like just. I really like just working outside with tools. Right on. In the sun, like anything. I mean, it could be anything. It could be gardening or dig. You know, uh, putting up fence posts or whatever. I just I love working. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for joining us here on Talking Metal at Heavy Montreal. We're happy to be here. Thank you, man.
So that was Primal by In- Intheos here on Talking Metal. I hooked up with those guys up at Heavy Montreal. And uh, yeah, thanks for f- to those guys for joining me. And thanks to the folks at Heavy Montreal for treating Emily and I so well. And way, way back at the beginning of the episode, John, you asked about Glenn Hughes. And I got to tell you, it-, it was a great show. I'm, I'm so sorry you missed it. I know. I really wanted to go, and I was sick that day. And uh, I, it, when you walk into my apartment, I have a picture of uh, me, Glenn Hughes, and Paul Stanley on my wall, like one yeah. of the first things you see. And I've, I love this guy. Yeah, John jammed, and maybe if I remember, I'll put this in today's show notes. John jammed with Glenn Hughes and Paul Stanley playing, and Bruce Kulik, right? Right, right. Yeah, playing Detroit Rock City. I mean, it's amazing. But yeah. but we had kind of an amazing experience with Glenn too, because I got to tell you, the after, pictures look great. Yeah, after the show, we we got ushered back with some other people like Jack Frost and Ken Pierce and some of the regular people. We got ushered back backstage to say hi to Glenn, and and there's a couple other like business looking dudes there. So everyone just shakes his hand and and gets a picture and and is there for like maybe three minutes maybe four at that point glenn basically clears everyone out it says oh thanks so much thanks so much and 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 kevin glenn's pr guy is like uh okay glenn says something to kevin and kevin's like okay everyone's gonna leave leave now and uh we're gonna leave mark and emily and glenn uh to have some alone time here (laughs) that's amazing he clears everyone out including the band i mean everyone out of the backstage area wow shuts the door and glenn just starts talking and i mean I, i i'll tell you offline some of the stories he said you know stuff that you know you get when the microphone isn't recording, you know? So yeah, some cool and maybe even sad stories about, you know, his relationship with the current deep purple guys. Um, uh, But yeah, some great stuff. He shared some great stories and wanted to hear about us. And yeah, so, uh, so it made, it made us feel special. And we were, we were there with him with the door shut for, at least 15, 20 minutes, at, at which point I felt like I don't want to wear out our welcome, you know, and I, I kind of, you know, he had just played a show. Um, so if you can see Glenn on the road, he's doing a Deep Purple tour where he's doing all the, the Deep Purple classics. Um, and it is a, a fantastic um, night and his band is so good. And and yeah, yeah. But um, so I, cool. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend everyone go check out Glenn Hughes. I tell you, right now, let's uh, we're nearing the end of the show, but I want to talk with John a little more. Let's hit uh, a Glenn Hughes song that I just love. This is called My Town from a, from a couple years back. And then we're going to talk more with John Astronomy after we hear this song. Little Glenn Hughes, My Town, here on Talking Metal.
my town, there is no division. This is my town, this is my love, this is my soul. This is my town. This is my love. right here on Talking Metal. What a great story, Mark, about the show. And I love Glenn Hughes. Yeah, absolutely. What have you been listening to lately? Uh, You mentioned a a track to me earlier. Yeah, I've been listening to a band formed in 1988. Uh, Give you some hints. Uh, The lead singer uh, had a mohawk. Uh, Michael Butler was in the band at one point. Oh, I know. Jet Boy. Jet Boy, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they have a new record coming out on Frontiers Records, and let me see if I have some info on it. It is called Born to Fly, and, uh, the, uh, title track is out. Uh, you can see the video online, Born to Fly, and, um, it's, uh, Billy Rowe on guitar, uh, Fernie Rod on guitar, Mickey Finn on vocals, 
And uh, they have two newer members. Eric Stacy, bass player uh, from Fast and Pussycat, is playing bass. And they have a drummer named El Serato. And the cool. reason I, I started thinking about Jet Boy, I don't even know why. I, I, was, I was in Manhattan, and I somehow – some you, you know what's really funny is – oh, Fern – Singing of the name Fern, and uh, because Ace uh, has a guy that comes over, he's an engineer. His name is Fern. Maybe his real name is Fernando. I'm not sure. So um, I'm thinking Fern, and then I'm thinking, okay, Fernie Rod. Maybe that's the same name, and uh, which it probably is, and um, or who knows? Maybe his <laughs> name is Fernie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so what happens is. Um, I start I, I humming this song, and I'm going, I wonder if this is Feel the Shake by Jet Boy, this song I'm humming, or it's just some random song that I'm humming. But I, I knew, like, the all the music and the chorus it was all in my head. So then I get out of the PATH train at, from World Trade Center, and I put the song on my, uh, you know, phone, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's it's Feel the Shake by Jet Boy. So I was listening to Feel the Shake for a, a few days, and then, then I listened to... Uh, it's like Michael kind of Bu- their one semi-hit, right? Yeah, exactly. And then I was listening to Michael Butler on uh, one of his latest podcasts, and it was really funny because he was telling, uh, he, he was talking about he got a press release and somebody contacted him about this new album, uh, and... Um, he says that he wishes the band the best. He said he wishes he was still in the band, but he told a story about him getting uh, – <laughs> he, 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 there was an incident that caused him not to be part of uh, the band anymore. And he, he says, let me tell you, everyone, it was worth it uh, to do what he did. And basically he sat in Alice Cooper's wheelchair and he touched some – Certain Alice Cooper stuff that I guess you weren't supposed to touch, and uh, as a result, he's not in Jet Boy. But it's a really funny story. You should go listen to Michael wow. Fuller's podcast that talks about Jet, uh, Jet Boy and also the Rock and Pod Expo too, which we missed. And um, yeah, and so it's a really funny story. And and it's yeah. so we missed it. I hope we can go next year. I, initially, that's my son's birthday weekend, and initially we were gonna do like a family thing with him. But then my grandmother died, and it ended up being her memorial that weekend. All my cousins flew in from like all over the country, so uh, I, I had a, a good excuse to miss it. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Michael Butler, he was back at the Rock and Pod Expo, I believe, uh, from what I was looking at. Right. Yeah, and there were such scandals with him the first year that, I, I don't know, I found it interesting that he had actually he returned. <laughs> but uh, they, they fly him out. You know, we flew out on our own dime, and yeah. I, I hope that... You know, I mean, you're a guy with your Kiss connections and, you know, I, I see you out with with Ace and even without Ace, it's like you're your own little celebrity. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I just feel like they should. I, I hope the Rock and Pod people will invite us back next year and actually pay for us to <laughs> fly that out there. Because nice. yeah, if I they mean... did that, we will definitely be there. If they're like, right. oh, you can come and you can. You you know, but we're going to we're going to uh, you got to pay your own way. And I mean, I nothing against Michael Butler, but I think we have as many listeners as he does, if not more, uh, you know, and I, yeah. I don't want to get into, you know, who, I guess who cares. Right. He was the right. original guy. So I know. But I just I just think we have some draw. And when you were at that Rock and Pod Expo that first year, you sold out all your books. People, I mean, months later, people were telling me, oh, so cool. I met John. 
um, <laughs> at, at the, uh, the from Ace's guy at the uh, Rock and Pod. So, so I, yeah. I hope they consider flying us out there because if they do, that would be nice. I will we'll definitely, definitely be there. Go. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, the truth of it is, is that I always credit Michael Butler with being the first guy to have a hard rock or heavy metal podcast. But without question, I think we were the second. Yeah. And um, and and not only did we, uh, you know, we're 700 and some episodes into into this and it's been going on for all these years. And with, without question, we we are two of the founding people in the podcasting industry yes. in rock and roll. And and I swear to God, I, I'm not sure if Michael had any buddy, but I think that Striper interview uh, that I did might have been the first of these celebrity interviews on any podcast ever. It was definitely one of the first. I, I mean, I think Michael was starting to talk with people uh, around that time, but but we were one of the first podcasters, not just one of yes. the first heavy metal, hard rock podcasts. We were one of the first podcasters. Yeah. yeah. In 2005, John and I right. started this show. So, yeah. Anyways, I love the rock and pod people. And we had such a great time yeah. there oh, great in time 2017. There. I, I want to get I'm back so, there. Yeah, I'm so nuts that I, I didn't even I don't even know what month it is or what day it is and what's going on. But but I was bummed that uh, we missed it. And I'd love to do it again. And I I do think that, uh, um, you know, I as talking mental listeners know, I never am a guy that tries to, like, you know, blow my own horn or anything like that. But it, when it comes to podcasting, and I have to give you credit, Mark, you were the first guy that had the idea. And and but as a team, we really accomplished a lot back back in 2005. We it, it blew up so much that we had a national television show in 2007, eight, and you know it aired for a few years, and uh, I, I think we made our mark. And uh, uh, you know, just just saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> said, no, yeah, yeah definitely. Me. Just saying, just saying that. I'm just saying we well, we have done a lot, and I think we we need to, uh, you know. Pat ourselves on the back for yeah, all that absolutely. we've done for the podcasting world because, in my opinion, a lot of these other podcasts wouldn't have been out had it not been for what we had done. I think we influenced a lot of people. So, yeah, I do too, and 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 sometimes I feel like people don't remember that, and uh, you know, I think some people do, and I, I just yeah, we like we like to get a little credit sometimes. Yeah, so. I know, and, and I. It, I think we do. I think we do. And I don't mean I any so. disrespect to anyone out there, but um, Michael Butler, awesome. And again, yeah, very big influence on what, what we decided to do is along with Eddie Trunk. I was very into how Eddie Trunk would talk about rock on his FM show in New York City back in those yeah. in those days. So but anyways, moving on, speaking of the Rock and Pod Expo, which is done in Nashville, I am considering, I haven't told you this, so I'm considering flying to Nashville in December. Any ideas? December. Yeah. Any ideas mm. what that might be for? I don't think it's something to do with Vinnie Vincent. Yes, um, it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah, I'm 80% sure I'm going out to the uh, the first performance by Vinnie Vincent in oh, 30 it's years. It's in Nashville at oh, the Graceland it... Theater, right on, I guess, oh. right near Graceland or across the street or oh, something. Oh, I so. Graceland was in, oh, that is, uh, 
Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that was this. I kept thinking Graceland was somewhere else. And, and oh, believe me, Elvis maybe it is. is. My, I, I don't know. I, thought, I just one. thought it was in, I think, it, no, I think it's in Nashville, right? I don't think so. I, I think, I thought. Is it, was, it in Memphis? I thought it was closer to Memphis. Let's look this up right now. Hold on. I'm right by the computer. That's a uh, Graceland. Of course, Elvis was my main thing. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, Memphis, Tennessee. It's in Memphis. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to. So the Vinnie Vincent concert's in Memphis? <laughs> Wait. I believe, yes. Vinnie Vincent. Yep. Graceland is in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, I thought it was in Nashville. Okay. Um, <laughs> Vin- Vinnie, here we go. Vinnie Vincent announces his first show in 30 years on Ultimate Classic Rock. And it is... Um, God, I hate this ultimate classic rock site. How it it's so clunky the way it loads. Uh, uh, all right, well, I I don't know. I can't again. I, can't, I think get it's it to in load. Memphis, Tennessee. Pretty sure. All right. Well, but, we're thinking you know, of flying so out. So you're for going that. down yeah. to the Vinnie Vincent. Maybe. Now I hear maybe. that he changed it from a acoustic thing to now he's having a full electric band. I thought it was acoustic, then electric, like two sets. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's kind of what I, I, I guess it is. Wow, right. So that's going to be interesting, yeah. Yeah, well, you can consider coming. Ian will hook us up. Oh, he will? Yeah, okay. yeah, because he manages Robert Fleischman now, so he'll... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. He's the manager. No, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think that's funny? <laughs> no, I just think everybody's a manager. I'm supposedly a manager. Uh, there's right. Everybody else has a manager. It's yeah, like, Ian. Yeah, Ian's the same thing. He, he sells watches for a living, you know. But he on the side he manages Robert Fleischman, the guy who wrote "Wheel in the Sky" and was a big part of that uh, Vinnie and Vincent invasion, the first album, and will be. It sounds like a big part of this uh, reunion, or not reunion. This first uh, Vinnie Vincent performance in 30 years. That's amazing. And I'm I, I'm not laughing at Ian. I'm laughing at the fact that, like, everybody's got a manager now. Like, supposedly, I'm Ace's manager, There's, which I technically am. But, and, you know, every, Vinny has a manager who I know, and Ian's managing somebody. Like, everybody's managing somebody now. Like, yeah. Every guy has a manager. That's why I'm laughing. Like, so Fernie Rod of Jet Boy, he probably has a manager. And probably. Billy Rowe has, I'm joking. I'm like, every, like uh, every, every member of every band now has a manager. <laughs> Anyways, I, I've only had one drink, guys. I, I am definitely not drunk. I'm just in a. I, I think I'm delirious from all this crazy metal stuff. And this is what happens when you wake up and you fly somewhere every morning of, of every week. And and that's sort of what happens on these A stores. It's nutty. It's like, well, listen, I gotta I gotta take my kids to this Pokemon tournament right now, but. Um, so yeah, they play cards every Sunday. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap I it like up. It. But let's take two songs to take us out. We're gonna end with some Jet Boy. But I did want to play a song called "Smooth Like Ken." This is by Cruel Seasons. Justin uh, sent us this. They're from the area here, and uh, they've been on the podcast before. They're like part of that, like Dan Lorenzo, Alan Tecchio scene. They come oh. out of that. I can't remember exactly how everything fits together. But again, this band is Cruel Seasons. This is Smooth Like Ken, again, by Cruel Seasons on Talking Metal. Your disciple of the crippled kind. 
I'm searching for a diva to blow my mind. Please tell me it's not true as they told me. I cried. Seasons here on Talking Metal go uh, buy their CD. It is called Breathe. And John, to take us out, let's hit that Jet Boy song you were talking about. Okay, this is called Born to Fly from the new album of the same name on Frontiers Records coming out on January 25th, 2019 by Jet Boy. All right, guys, talk to you next time. All right, cool. 
Touch the sky.